It's all new to me, like some mystery. It could even be like a myth. But it's hard to think on that she's the same one that last night I was with. From darkness, dreams are deserted. Am I still dreaming yet? I wish she'd unlock her voice once and talks that acting like we never met. Zoe and Rita's Marlena Dietrich Podcast Part 3. Spectacular. Series that ended up being a series. There's so much to say about uh, Marlena. So we covered her filmography up to the sort of the point where she has become the icon. Uh, She and von Sternberg. uh, Did we talk about uh, Devil is a Woman? Devil is a Lady? No, I don't think so. That is the actual, then we should ca- cap off our discussion with that one. That was the last Von Sternberg film. It doesn't do a lot for me. She she looks amazing, as always, but uh, I didn't, doesn't, it's not like a high marker for me, but that was the end. They just couldn't do it anymore. Uh, he couldn't do it anymore, I think. And I, she couldn't either. They were fighting, like, hellaciously. So that was the end. And then she went on with other directors and ended up, being solidified in the image, the iconography of the Dietrich persona. But she was never quite as great, we feel, yeah. in any later films, although she has moments, which oh, we'll talk about. Yeah, she definitely has moments. I think I think the reason is she's not growing and changing, which means that she could stumble and fall, she could uh, fail, she could, and then, but then she could succeed more magnificently because she would be so, sort of be a living, evolving persona. But she actually is a lot like her friend Mae West, and that Mae West very early on solidified this this persona, this signifying, um, sexual, um, powerful, decisive woman who, you know, she calls the shots um, and loves sex. And she never changed. She stayed, she wore the same clothes, pretty much. She wore the same hair, the same persona throughout her career. And, and she went until she was like in her 80s with that same persona. Wow. Yeah, that that's a film maybe you'll want to watch someday. <laughs> it's her last film where uh, she's supposed to be uh, marrying a guy who's like 50 years younger than her and he's madly in love with her and she's like the sex bomb at 80. And sort of like... That didn't quite work. As, <laughs> as feminist as I am, I have to be in reality and say that doesn't work. Um, anyway, so Marlena and uh, Mae West were similar in that way in that they early on decided on their image, they liked it, and they stuck with it. So, all right, so I guess we'll move on now to, we're going to talk about our three best Marlena films, the best being the ones that were very hard to choose, that we like the best, um, that we think uh, maybe a combination of we think it's the best film, we think it Marlena is the best in in the film, um, and or we like it. it. It speaks to us on some level, uh, and and it was difficult too because there were some other ones I might have said this is a better film, but Marlena in it is more is better. Mm-hmm. Or there's also, a, a, for my consideration, I tried to pick things from one thing from each era, as I see it, of her career. There's one from her von Sternberg era, the early Marlene, and then there's the mid, sort of the 1940s ish, early 50s ish Marlena. Uh, that was after she'd been called Box Office Poison. She recovered her career, and so there are a bunch of films in there, and I chose what I liked best from that. And then from her later career, before she went and began to tour the country as a singer as a chanteuse <laughs> a chanteuse yes I've never chanteuse. heard that word before yeah it's a singer it's french no. Sa- basically a singer but for me my understanding is that chanteuse is not just singing it's the pr- it's like a pee off it's but maybe even yeah like an entertainer as Inter- well yeah entertainer a personality a point of view kind of um that's so. I think it's going to be interesting because we each picked our top three independently, and I wasn't thinking about it in terms of era or different. Well, I wanted a diversity of Marlena's, and also 
uh, I think our, our lists are pretty similar. Yeah, aren't they? Didn't they end up being exactly the <laughs> <Yeah>. same, actually? <laughs> so we'll throw in a few other recommendations uh, or, or films that, that are uh, to watch. All right, do you want to start? Yeah, so number one um, movie that I picked, and I did lay them out in chronological order in my list. Me too. Um, so Blonde <laughs> Venus is the first film, which we've talked about uh, pretty extensively yeah. because I think it it's really um, visually impactful and we talked about the the moment with the gorilla suit, the high the high uh, the high theatricality of that moment. Yeah, yeah. And I also felt like it was it was tragic and moving. And yeah, it had it kind of. And I think that just to cap off, why I would say if I were recommending to someone blank slate, they didn't know anything about Marlena, and they were open to anything, mm-hmm. that I would say Blonde Venus would be the first one to watch. Uh, if they didn't, you know, weren't going, oh, I want to start at the beginning. I want to go in chronology, even though uh, The Blue Angel is uh, such an important film for her career, but also for film generally, I think. Uh, I would pick Blonde Venus for the reasons you said. There's, there's, real, there's a real arc to it. Even though we didn't really like the way it ended, and you'll go back and listen to our prior podcasts uh, in this series, uh, podcast two, I think, where we talk about sort of the the, the sexual politics of the film. Right. But, um, but it still had a great arc. A great arc, and it's... I mean, it's captivating for anybody who's interested in, in like, being hooked on Marlena. I think it's she's at her most charismatic. It's kind of captivating in that it shows you just, like, the spectacle that she could be, that Hollywood mm-hmm. can be. Um, and I think, I don't know, as, as we've talked about, Marlena plays a lot of um, women who do, like, sex work, basically. Mm-hmm. She, mm-hmm. she plays a lot of um, courtesans and prostitutes and stuff, and so... There's a lot of different angles, you know. Sometimes it's more of a flippant type, like f- fun bar saloon maid type role. Sometimes this one, it would be like the tragic aspect of that, and really shows the conundrum of a woman in that at the position. Time. Yeah, and what what could she do, kind of thing. Also, it shows her in a role that we never, I don't think we ever see her in again, uniquely as a mother. Right. And that was, in real life, that was one of uh, her roles that she projected in her real life as being this blessed, all-sacrificing, wonderful mother, whereas, in fact, she wasn't. It was an act. But uh, here she gets to play it out on film with a, and I think we mentioned Dickie Moore, mm-hmm. who you, you see his little face and go, Dickie! <laughs> he was in he played David Copperfield and David Copper young David Copperfield uh-huh. and David Copperfield and, and, and where Basil Rathbone who we've mentioned before uh, uh whips him roundly oh no yeah, yeah. <laughs> so okay a little aside there but um yeah so that this is definitely I think the one also uh, and it's it's got the romance to it too as well as the the hard edge the gritty just a touch of grit just a touch enough to make it interesting okay number two we both chose i think this is really your favorite one isn't it i yeah i think it is and it's interesting we'll talk about more about why but um we chose the golden earrings which is one that we haven't mentioned at all yet i think yeah and and the title is not the golden earrings just to be pedantic oh, here, it? okay. it's golden earrings. All right, okay. <laughs> and uh, this is from 1947. We should say, just in case we hadn't, that Blonde Venus was made in 1932. So just what three years after she came to Hollywood, right? 47 uh, Golden Earrings in 47 was done after she had been named box office poison. Uh, she had gotten Destry Rides Again, which is the the uh, her comeback film, her comeback film, the western with Jimmy Stewart, and so Golden Earrings is just a few few uh, years after that. Yeah, and so it's kind of an atypical role for Marlena in terms that she's playing. Uh, she's like, not a prostitute. Uh, she's not a prostitute. She's playing an entirely well. She's playing a different race. She's playing a, a Roma. Yeah, um, it's a Gypsy Romany movie. She's uh, she's the one. She's the the woman whose uh, man has gone missing or been killed. He was murdered, yeah. Yeah, he was murdered, that's right. And it, and it's also the post-war movie where she is the heroine. Um, she She's a, a free woman, mm-hmm. has sex with whomever she wants. I think that's a really yeah. important part she, of that. Uh, she's she, never constrained. <laughs> right, <really>. totally. <laughs> it's great. Um, I, they portray the culture of, of her, her well, g- community as like, you know, 
the women love the strong men and they, you know, take whoever they want and you're my man and stuff yes. like that. Um, and she she tells fortunes for um, for the Europeans and, like, dupes the Europeans. And yeah, it's, it's a stereotypical vision of yeah. the Romani people. But in, like, a sort of positive orientalist yeah. light where they're like, yeah. look how free this society is. Well, and, and also they're the real people. So, yeah, she is... Uh, a, a wonderful character, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, the Romanies are in Germany. This mm-hmm. is before England was in the war. But the English are trying to infiltrate into Germany, knowing that they're going to be going to war, probably, since Germany has been just riding roughshod over Europe. You know, they they invaded Belgium and Poland. Well, Poland was actually what caused them to get in the war. But prior to that, they invaded Czechoslovakia and Belgium. And so they were a danger. Uh, so the lead male here is Ray Milland, who I like. I like him, too. I think he's kind of wry and... Yeah, he's not real handsome in my mind. I guess in those days he might have been handsome. <laughs> Back in the, a, different, a different standard. He's okay looking. He he's, kind of looks like a stage actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he, like stage actor handsome. Uh, yeah, if he came out on stage, he'd be like, ooh, you know, but Clo- he's not... Uh, my opinion, anyway, but I I really like him just generally as an actor. He yeah, he's wry. He's he's got a I guess can I say an American energy. He's quite you know he's quite got the direct energy, but not in an aggressive way. Mm-hmm. So I, I like him. I do like him a lot. I think he's a, I don't know if Ray Milland was English or not, but he may have been in real life. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I like him. So Marlena didn't. She did not. I. Don't know why, maybe because he wasn't taken with her, you know, or, you know, he tells a story where he was trying to be friendly with her and everything, and so he tried to, like, he didn't know much German, he kind of tried to learn a little German and, you know, say something to her in German as a way of, you know, being friendly. And she just spat at him, like, oh, I wouldn't put that filthy language in my mouth. And she walks away from him. And then later he sees her in the commissary with Billy Wilder chatting away in German. (laughs) And he goes, what did I do? (laughs) So she just tried to make his life hell. And she did everything. She um, just tried to make, she made herself greasy, which was, you know, I can see that, you know, woman on the road, not so much a comment on the people, but she's in a caravan drawn by a horse. Mm -hmm. There's no running water. You know, she's not taking showers, so she's pretty greasy. And so there is one scene in the movie where they have a pot of stew, and he is at her camp. And so she just reaches into the pot and grabs some food out of their fingers, and she's eating, and it's all drippy and greasy on her fingers. And apparently, and I couldn't tell this from the film, she picked out a fish head and sucked the eyes out of it, and he ran off and puked. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I love that. (laughs) I kind of love that she'd be that petty, you know? Oh, she's tough. Marlena, it was extremely petty and grudge holding. (laughs) And also that she just had no qualms about it. No, she had no. That's like her old country coming through. Yeah, yeah, she's totally right. She's always right. But anyway, uh, the the great story, it's a pretty standard story. He gets. Brain in land. The movie, yeah, yeah. He in the movie, he gets caught behind the German lines, and uh, things go wrong, and he still has to get his he has to get to his mission and get it fulfilled, and so he's really in danger. And she finds him, and he's wearing the uniform and everything. And so she finds him and goes, "Oh, you know, ooh, you are a man. <laughs> oh, it's so embarrassing. So... <laughs> you are a man." <laughs> It's so campy. It's, it's hilarious. So, it's really, um, really funny. He's just like, whoa. Yeah. And, she, and she's like pawing at him going, you will be my man. <laughs> you are mine. You are a beautiful man. And, and so she helps him sort of disguise himself as a Romani so that he can travel in secret. And at this time, they were being persecuted by the Germans, but not like hunted down yet. Not, not yet. So they it, kind of flew under the radar. Right. Um, yeah. The system hadn't gotten in place yet, but yes. And er, therein lies the golden earring of the title where right. she... Well, actually, can we talk about the opening scene? Because I kind of liked that. That's what... Oh, okay. Um, sure. When we first watched the film, the in- opening scene seemed kind of atypical to me. It was interesting. Um, so the film's actually almost entirely in flashback. Um, yes. And it opens with uh, Ray Milan in London, like after this has already happened. He's staying in a hotel or something, and the people in the hotel are like looking at him and talking about him, and there's like there's something different about this guy. Like, wasn't he in the war and stuff? And he has these golden earrings. Um, no, no, no. He has pierced eight. ears. Oh, he has pierced ears. Yeah. Um, 
and which and so, men in those days did not have pierced ears in right. the Western world. Yeah, so it's considered like very strange. They're not even sure if it's like effeminate or not. Like, so they really wonder about this, and finally, someone asks him, and he um, they're on a flight somewhere, and he sits down and he tells them the whole tale, and then that's. Yeah. Where you go into. And the Germany. reason his ears are pierced are because in order to uh, cap this disguise with reality and make him look like her man, uh, she gives him her old, her other man's and <laughs> her clothes. X-Man. Her X-Man uh, clothes and his golden earrings. And she pierces his ears and puts them in. And so he he's then wearing them throughout the film. Um, except in the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. And anyway, uh, not giving away too much, there there are some comedy bits in here with a couple of Englishmen, which are really quite funny. They're quite good. And the, I thought the film just, it holds together really well. It's really funny, really funny. And But it's actually kind of a drama mm-hmm. with this funny parts within it. And I think that gives it a really good, uh, good sort of balance. Yeah. They end up staying in the Romani camp and then there's, there's sort of one of the other top three on the bill or whatever is Mervyn Vi. Mervyn Vi. V Y E. The guy did not do much, too much in film, but <laughs> yes, he's really good in this film. It was a, a couple days ago. Zoe and I were watching Perry Mason, uh, night, the second season of Perry Mason, which is 1958. And there's this guy. He's in it. He's got this basso voice and, and didn't didn't really notice him that much. And then in the credits, it says, so-and-so, Harry somebody, Mervyn Vi. I screamed. I stopped the film. I, oh, my God. Is that, that's Mervyn Vi. And I, I rewound it. We looked at him. We looked him up in the internet. Oh, my God. It's Mervyn Vi. Yeah. He looks really different in this movie. Really different. Older. Way taller. Uh, he's younger in the movie. Yeah. yeah. He looks way taller. Yeah. And, and he's, he's got hair. He's cast as a Romani, so. Yeah. And so yeah. he looks really different. And just as an aside, Marlena was really pissed off about something. I forget what it was. I think she was just kind of locked in the set and she couldn't, and there was nobody panting after her and Ray Milan wasn't interested. So she slept with Mervyn Vi one night, apparently, and was not too pleased with him. <laughs> unimpressed. <laughs> unimpressed. Just very, very unimpressed. <laughs> His character in the movie is supposed to be like this like virile, like super deep voice. Totally. Like, mm, ladies Jacket man. thrown over the shoulder, <laughs> shirt open down in the Rough V, down his yeah. chest. Yeah. Fighting, a fighting man. Yeah. So she was not too impressed with him. So anyway, anyway, we definitely recommend Golden Earrings. Mm-hmm. And um, so I guess let's, since we're talking about all the movies, let's talk about the end and stuff, because that's what's really interesting to me about the movie. Okay. Um, is okay. that what I felt was so atypical about it as a Hollywood movie, um, I mean, it does, it has the interesting juxtaposition of being kind of like this like stereotypical representation and like, you know, white actors playing Romani characters and stuff, but in a positive light. And the characters are definitely real characters and have complexity and it's trying to show you about their life, not that the writers necessarily had a great idea about (laughs) what life was really like, but um, there's that. And then there's also um, sort of the the role, the roles of male and female, because maybe they're they're set in this othered uh, society, they can be a little bit more challenged. Um, yeah, it can be more transgressive. And, and throughout the film, mm-hmm. he and she are equally active agents in what happens and in decision-making throughout the, the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and so she's very much like the like a feminine woman, but she's, she's also... A protagonist. Strong. She's also, you know, she picks up the fish head with her fingers, <laughs> you know, she's like... <laughs> she knows how to do stuff and, and he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, she knows how to do things. She helps him survive a lot. Right. Um, but in the end of the film, uh, you, you had seen him at the beginning in London, and by the end of the film, he, she had helped him escape uh, Germany, and but you didn't know whether she had survived. Right, because the whole war had happened in the internment. Right. He was gone. Um, and the Romanis had been nearly exterminated. Right. So that kind of adds a lot of weight to that question. He returns to Germany, and he looks for her. Um, and well, no, what happens is is he's standing in his club, and a package arrives. And the package he opens, because when he leaves, he's you know he's going away at the end of their adventure together, and he gives her back the, the golden earrings, and they've fallen in love, uh, as you can guess. 
back at the club after the war, a package arrives. He opens a package, and the golden earrings are in the box. So he knows she survived. Thank you. That's right. Yeah. And uh, so he goes back to Germany at the end, and he they meet up. He puts on the golden earrings, and they, like, hop on her uh, covered wagon and, like, ride off into the sunset, <laughs> yeah. which is so cool because he's uh, he's this, like, man with stature in, like, Britain and everything, but he gives everything up to to join her lifestyle, which is a complete inversion of what usually happens even today in Hollywood movies. Yeah. Usually it's, like, a woman, she might have her thing, and she might be, be the independent woman in the movie who's, like, sexy and cool, but she usually ends up falling into the role of... Well, either that or, or they end up compromising, so it's both. Mm-hmm. But you don't often see the man actually giving up for the woman right. to follow and her. Not just because he lo- like loves her and wants to follow her, but because he fell in love with the lifestyle, too. He found that it really suited him. Yeah, m- must have. Yeah. Well, also the fact is is that she would not ever have been able to in any way possibly adapt to his lifestyle. Yeah, she couldn't just, really enter British society. Right. Well, easily. with her Yeah, with well, she wouldn't have been accepted in the society probably, but also even if she was, she was too strong. She was too much a character and too strong-willed and too deterministic about her own life that she wasn't going to be able to try to change who she was. But he could change who he was, mm-hmm. which is which is really cool. Yeah, yeah. So. Okay, I guess we should move on to our last pick. Did we pick the same same one for our third one? I think so. Do you have uh, witness for the prosecution? I have witness for the prosecution. Nineteen fifty eight. All right, and this is her second. And isn't this uh, Hitchcock? Uh, witness for the prosecution. Or is it Billy Wilder? I can't I think it's Billy Wilder. Oh, okay. All right. So this is her last Billy Wilder film, isn't it? I think. Yeah. And um, wait, it was Touch of Evil earlier. No, that's Orson Welles. Oh, shit. <laughs> okay. Good enough. Good enough. Witness for the prosecution, she actually has a, not a really long, she's part of an ensemble, mm-hmm. and she's not the lead of the ensemble, but she has a very pivotal and important part. Should we, and once again, we want to state before we go on, this is a spoiler, a spoiler, spoiler full a podcast. We're going to talk about everything because it has been almost 60 years since this movie. So stop if you want to watch the movie first and then listen to the conversation. And I think if you were going to watch a film just because you wanted to see a good movie that had some mystery to it and everything, if you like a little bit of noir, this is one to watch. Like, And this is one you want to watch before you even... Um, you know, listen to this podcast for yeah. sure. Like the other ones, they're kind of predictable right. the overall arc right. and everything. Um, this is one where you, you there's some mystery want the ending to be yeah. a surprise because there are twists. Yeah, there is a twist, and we will be talking about the twist. Yeah. So, mine blunders, baby. Vergiss mich nicht. baby. All right, so Billy Wilder, and it's got the, just, oh God, Billy Wilder, can I just say, if I had to pick one director, favorite director, I think we're going to have yeah. to do a Billy Wilder uh, podcast at some point. All right. You know, Some Like It Hot, The Apartment, I mean, Double Indemnity, this guy's fantastic. And this is another great, um, it's a courtroom drama, it stars, well, it stars Charles Lawton. He's actually the lead, and he's a, a barrister, an old guy, not doing well health-wise, who has a murder uh, case brought to him. The, mur- the, the alleged murderer is Tyrone Power, mm-hmm. and he is married to Marlena Dietrich in the film. So that's sort of the setup of the characters. And apparently he supposedly mar- murdered an older woman who he'd been hanging out with. Uh, befriended a rich old lady. Befriended her. And she's really not that old. I mean, she's older than he is. By, but, of course, he's playing young, too. Uh, Tyrone Powered has to have been in 50 or thereabouts. And he's probably supposed to be playing someone who's in his early 30s. I think that's, you know, they're all trying to play young. Anyway, she leaves him her money. And there, therein he is considered to be possibly the murderer. Right. Um, her body turns up, and then he shows up in the attorney's office, like begging for um, defense. This, this great, and and the, Charles Lawton's character is a great 
defense attorney. He's hilarious. He's very funny. He has some very witty lines. He's really good. And he's also um, portrayed as being very sharp and very kind of... um, combative, uh, scrappy in the courtroom and everything, and so you trust him as being, like, a really good judge of character and whatnot. Yeah, he's supposedly anyway. And he is and he's very wily in the courtroom and he, just on the on the back burner here, he was sort of trying to kind of co-direct because he was also a director, and there were a lot of things that he wanted a certain way. And Marlena kind of thought that he ran roughshod over Billy Wilder. Although Billy Wilder was, he was a scrappy dude. He was a feisty, feisty man. So I think if anything happened like that, Billy Wilder must have chosen to go along with it because he thought it was a good idea or greed or whatever. But And there's another good story about this is Marlena plays, as usual, an elegant woman. She's not a She's not a prostitute. Again. Again, but she plays she well, pl- plays a dual doesn't role. Doesn't imply that she might have been in the past. She's an actress. She's an past. actress, okay. Which is like being a prostitute. In in old movies. <laughs> yeah. Close. <laughs> Very yeah, close. Yeah. No, she was an actress and she married this Tyrone Power character. She she wears her gray suit and a plain hat and there's no glamour to her at all in this film really, other than through simplicity. I mean the line, she looks very good. Um, but apparently, you know, she was 57, 57-ish when this was filmed. Oh, she looks amazing. Well, she does, but she also had these things called lifts. And they were like adhesive things that stuck to your skin. And then you hooked them in behind, and they pulled your face. It was like a, a, Taut. It was like yeah. a facelift. Yeah. So it lifted up your face, and it lifted up your jawline, and your eyes, and your forehead, and everything. And, but you could only use them if you had, were wearing a wig. So she wore wig from, you know, at a certain point, she just started always wearing wigs. And she would hook these things in, and that's why she had the the, the look. And as you notice later, uh, as you go on through her career, that line, the cheek line, got hollower and hollower and hollower because the skin, of course, got looser, and then it, she pulled it more. And oh, and it's really, it's funny because Elsa Lanchester, who was Charles Lawton's wife, I believe, I think it was Elsa, maybe it wasn't. Anyway, one of the actresses in this film was joking around, being a little butt, and she ran up in the dressing room and she came down like with holding like 10 or 10 or 12 of these little lifts. And she goes, look, look, Marlena Dietrich's lifts. <laughs> she showed everybody. Aww. Aww. Well, Marlena wasn't very nice anyway, yeah. so I can't be too sad about it. But <laughs> anyway, she did look amazing. She wore her lifts. So they kept her face nice and taut. And she plays a dual role in this. So she's mm-hmm. the wife. Do I think you, she's very good at the wife. I, and yeah. I think it's a restraint, maybe on the oh, part yeah. of Billy Wilder. He was like, play it down, you yeah. know? Yeah. And it's, it really works. Yeah, it does work. Um, but basically what happens is is that the uh, defendant, Tyrone Power, he's actually, well, actually his wife, uh, Marlena, is the smart one of the two of them. And she knows that he killed, or, okay, spoilers, we're giving them it away, um, she knows that he killed the woman, and he comes to her and says, "Help me, help me!" And so she's the smart one who comes up with this contrivance and this plan and this plot to lead Charles Lawton around by the nose, so that he'll take all the steps required uh, that will get Tyrone Power off by various tricky contrivances. Mm-hmm. And do you want to tell what it is? What they do? Well, okay, it's in the title. Um... First of all, she sets herself up as sort of a sketchy character, and uh, uh, she plays a dual role. She plays right. the wife, and then in order to give some false information to the the attorney, so he'll follow through on it, she plays a low, sort of like a cleaning woman type of street woman who, like Cockney, oh ducky, and she wears a swag because she had been an actress, so she plays this character, and he doesn't realize it's her. Right, and she shows him these scars and how this uh, this woman the had, had cut her face because um, she was taking her man and uh, so so <laughs> Marlena as the wife becomes a witness for the prosecution against her husband mm-hmm. and that's the first um, part of her plan and then in order to sort of illegitimize her own testimony yeah. she plays this other role to try and trick uh, the attorney into thinking that she really is that she's lying right and then that then the the jury will go 
the prosecution's witness is it's just because she's jealous because he you know this other because he had this other woman and so on and so forth and and he ends up being uh, determined to be innocent and then oh we don't have to give away the very very last twist there's one more little twist Mm -hmm. in it that we won't give away that's very good of course if they've they've watched it we should go ahead and give it away (laughs) <laughs> I guess. And this is played, uh, there's a young woman who keeps sitting in the in the audience or in the, uh, whatever they call it, watching the trial, played by the actress Ruta Lee, if in case any of you know 60s TV, you'll know who Ruta Lee is. Anyway, she's young and very pretty here, and she's watching the whole thing. And what happens is, is that Marlena ends up... There was a whole plot point about, um, oh, he... Um, being the man on trial showed up in this jewelry store with the brunette woman and like bought a watch or something like that and um, everybody thinks that that was kind of made up but then it turns out that this woman in the audience was actually another woman he was seeing and he had begged his wife for help for getting off of this murder charge but he had also been seeing this other woman behind her back so she was betrayed yeah, but but the the point I was trying to make is that the wife, the 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 real the twist, is that the wife is now going to go to jail for perjury. For him, right, in order to get him off, and he walks off with this other dame, right, <laughs> and she stabs him. It's great. <laughs> I know. And so as he's leaving the courtroom, walking off with the other dame, she stabs him. And now she's going to go to prison for murder. Yeah. But the attorney is, like, so impressed by her that he decides <laughs> defend to defend her. her. <laughs> yeah. So it's layers upon layers. And I'm sure we ex- explained that very badly. Therefore, you should definitely watch the movie. Yeah. You probably won't even know what we talked about. So you'll be able to be surprised. It's a terrific movie. It really is all around. Mm-hmm all around but uh, you don't have that Marlena does not take center stage she is not the the uh, her mystique is not really part of her role so there are a couple other films I, I'd like to talk about I, I would say a runner up to this of the of the three these mm-hmm. three the fourth one I would say um, recommend you to watch for sure is Foreign Affair yeah we both love this one and a lot of really good ones she had like powerhouse directors sort of near the end of her career and a lot of them made really good films yeah she she really did she was very lucky and I think that was a Billy Wilder that was a Billy Wilder film as well that was her yeah her, her first Billy Wilder I think and it's just a delight she plays a German which is very interesting maybe it's because she trusted Wilder so much she never wanted to play a German she didn't want to play somebody who could have been a Nazi or in any way sympathetic to the Nazis but in this case she plays a cabaret singer who I believe has sex for money or food or whatever because she's you know seems more like it's trade in goods you know kind of deal with the soldiers Um, yeah because this is during the american occupation in berlin and the 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 city is and they actually use footage of the city which is amazing it is oh my god the devastation is incredible the rubble and she's living in people just living amongst bombed out shells of buildings and in them and it's you know so anyway she plays the cabaret singer gene arthur who i adore gene arthur gene arthur is so cute i really like her is wonderful we'll have to do a podcast on great comedic actress she is she's she's just fantastic and she's not i don't think anybody would know who you were talking about when you talked about gene arthur other than cinephiles and she um she plays a congresswoman so a weird lady there's got to be something wrong with her Kinda to be uptight yeah, yeah uptight uh, rule following and they want to come and, and uh commission from congress has going to berlin to check out what's going on with the soldiers how the occupation is going our morals being how followed <laughs> yes. yeah and she's a congresswoman from like the midwest right yeah yeah, I think it's Iowa. Maybe? Iowa, yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure. I, it's always kind of Iowa, isn't it? <laughs> and she's just adorable, and she meets up with a uh, an officer who is very... Um, he's kind of in on all of the shenanigans that are going on, and he's a uh, Marlena's lover and has a thing going with her. And he, so he's trying to sort of throw the dust in the, in the congresswoman's eyes and make her... Um, make her go away happy and what's very interesting is is that the but he also happens to be from iowa and so they have this connection it's just an adorable little fling and it's marlena she really plays it well and she's not she wasn't really a collaborator but she she had to survive 
And I think Wilder's really trying to make the sympathetic point and kind of meld together the comedy with the social reality that was going on in Berlin at the time, kind of make it palatable so you could see there what there was real suffering and that and I think the thing that he and a lot of people kept trying to sort of bring into the films, it isn't black or white. It isn't like, oh, you know, either you were good or you were bad. That sometimes you were just trying to survive or trying to get by. And that there were a lot of gray areas. So anyway, it was it, that's a delightful film. And the, the last scene is so, so funny. It's really, again, there's a little bit of the, the flipping around the genders that makes it, and, and in a kind of an adorable way. Yeah. Now, John Lund, who is the lead here, He's really just like a placeholder man. That's true, yeah. <laughs> he's, he doesn't really have... He's no Cary Grant. He's no, you know, uh, sparkly, vivacious, kind of fast-talking, cute guy. He's just he's just kind of a man of that period, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, Marlena was not too impressed with him. She thought he was really a bore. But there were no uh, there were no dramatic moments during filming or anything. No, no, nothing that I know about. It was it was pretty. I don't think she didn't think much of Jean Arthur. She thought Jean Arthur was not good looking and would make those kind of comments behind her back, of course. But yeah, that was pretty much it for for Foreign Affair. Okay. Are, are there any runners up to you you'd like to make sure that uh, get mentioned before we go on to our favorite kind of kitschy movies or the ones that we you should see that aren't really good? <laughs> Um, well, Destry Rides Again is great. We don't need to talk too much about that, but it was the first one I saw, and the comedy really holds up. It's great. Did we mention the fair shade with Jimmy Stewart before? She got pregnant by him? No. Oh, okay. So in Destry Rides Again, uh, young Jimmy Stewart. Um, Which is interesting, because he's, um, even me, you know, being of this generation and stuff, Jimmy Stewart's like a face that I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's true. He's young and skinny here. Kind of goofy, but good looking. Yeah. Kind of. Uh, I, don't I don't know. know. Not my taste, but okay. <laughs> Compared and, to his older self. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, he um, he plays uh, the sheriff who comes into town. He's going to get everything right. He's just kind of a... He doesn't draw shucks. Yeah. yeah. And she's the feisty, Frenchy saloon girl. And, of course, um, they end up getting together. But I won't say what happened at the end. Anyway, during the filming, she and he had an affair. They slept together. Apparently, she got pregnant. She was so much older. I don't know. I don't know when he was born. Um, But she would have been in her 40s, so maybe 10 years. Uh, She got pregnant and had an abortion. And um, apparently, when he found out she was pregnant, he's like, oh, well, what are you going to do? Jeez. You know. Jerk. Yeah. He wasn't married at the time either, but, I mean, she wouldn't have married him anyway. That's what happened. I mean, I think it's kind of like, maybe it's kind of her standard ploy of, like, kind of throwing the blame or throwing the shade on him. But really, in reality, even if he had fallen on his knees and begged her to marry him, she would have done the same thing. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. She was just the principle of the matter. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, she didn't want it. She didn't want to have any more children, really. Um, so anyway, that was Destry Rides Again. That That is a good one, though. It's very, very fun. Um, all right. So oh, I have one more that I oh, want to talk okay. about that I think sure. is good. So um, you mentioned a Hitchcock-directed movie mm-hmm. earlier, and that is actually Stage Fright. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what year that was. Um, I think I like this one more than you did. Oh, really? Um, okay, this was 1950. Okay, 1950 Stage Fright, directed by Hitchcock. Um, and I... I don't know. I don't think this is, like, a great movie. It's certainly not a great Hitchcock movie, um, even though it does have it does have a good twist and, like, dramatic moments and tension and stuff. Um, what I really like about it is... are the two leads. Um, Marlena and, and Michael Wilding? Uh, and the other young woman. Oh, 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 Jane Wyman. Jane Wyman. Who was married to Ronald Reagan. He was... She was, she was Ronald Reagan's first wife. Interesting. Yeah. They um, got divorced be- before he became a politician. <laughs> Anyway, I think she's kind of bright and lively, and I like her. Um, and she's supposed to be, um, she's trying to solve the problem and protect um, the man she cares about and stuff in this film. But um, I, I, out of any of the actors we've seen in any of Marlena's films, uh, the the main lead in this one is the like the actor that I would be like, that guy's really attractive. Yeah, like, Michael Wilding. He is very attractive English actor. He was married to Elizabeth Taylor at one time, and he had other uh, affairs and, and marriages that I can't remember, but Elizabeth Taylor is one that really sticks in my mind. Yeah, he is, and I think you made the point, and I totally agree with you. He would make, he would have made a great Lord Peter Whimsey. 
yeah. if they had done the whimsy films or anything like that. He would have just been perfect. He had the nose, mm-hmm. and he had he had good looks. He had the manner, the the sort of the genteel Englishness that could be goofy if he chose it to be, or could be suave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely like Michael Wilding. So I recommend Stage Fright, especially if you're a Hitchcock fan. You know, you might as well work your way through the canon eventually. And yeah. You can see Marlena, too. This is a good one. And she's not the lead in it. Like, I, I misspoke there. She's really a supporting player, but very good. Okay, now we can talk about the ones that yeah. I love, uh, that I love the most that are not good. And the therefore, <laughs> I would be hesitant to recommend them, actually, to somebody who's new. <laughs> and what did you think of the Garden of Allah? Um <laughs> I enjoyed it as a as a Hollywood spectacle. Oh my god! Um, I uh, I really so personally. I I don't know what it is, but I just love stuff about monks. Like <laughs> I just really like monks. It's like a thing for me. Um, oh my god! This is right up your alley. <laughs> Charles Boyer as a monk. Yeah. What do you think of Charles Boyer? I think he was good. Yeah. Um, he's a little bit atypical. He's a, so he's a French actor, yeah. um, who speaks English in the film and everything with the but, heavily f- accented French accent. Yeah. He's also sh- kind of short and not chubby at all, but he's not he's not aquiline. He's not sculpted in any he's way. Solid, yeah, yeah. Um, dark hair and everything. Mm-hmm. I liked him. I feel like he had, he had a some something about him, like a sense of. Jean Sequois. Yeah. Yeah, he totally did. And he was a big sex symbol at the time. He'd be like, oh, in fact, there is a character in Looney Tunes, if you've ever seen Pepe Le Pew. Mm-hmm. Is oh, mon chéri, let me take you to the Casbah. Da, da, da. That's Charles Boyer. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not him doing the voice. Sure, it's the character it, of it, him. Yeah, exactly. So that's, <laughs> that's what's funny. He was the stereotypical romantic Frenchman, which is very interesting because if you look at his career, yeah, he played romantic roles. But as an actor himself, he had... A really kind of underneath that douceur, if you will, acidic quality, an acrid quality where, you know, you could see he could turn around and just bite you, you know, um, versus just being this sexy, suave guy. And at the same time, he doesn't seem like a jerk. Like most men in most Hollywood scripts at the time are jerks, you know, just by virtue of the story. Well, have you seen, uh, I know you have seen because we watched it together. It was so long ago. The Earrings of Madame de... It was a French film, and but okay, he's in that. He plays a really rough character there in terms of his um, coldness and uh, manipulativeness. I guess what I mean is that he, as a as an actor, doesn't feel like an like he's a jerk, a complete asshole. Yeah, but he can play those characters yeah. really well. Yeah, he's also in a film called Gaslight with Ingrid Bergman, where he plays That's a, a famous one. Yeah, yeah really well, introduced the term gaslighting, which is very relevant. Well, the film didn't. The film didn't, but the play, the did. play did. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly right. I don't know. Do people know that term? Yeah, it's in really common usage, and I don't even know how many people are aware that it came from. Oh, a, sure, a play or a film. Hardly but, anybody, probably. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Anyway, so I like Charles Boyer. I think he's sexy. There's something about his lips. <laughs> and his eyes and, and the energy. I guess it's it's like no shit energy. It isn't like any... He's committed. He's committed to the energy that he is emitting as an actor. And I think when it's that sexy romantic... There's a, a movie he's in called History is Made at Night, which I've mentioned many you, times. Yeah, you've talked to you, but I have not done it. Yes. <laughs> I just think he's so sexy in that movie. <laughs> I just love him. And so I can understand why women of the time were considered him a sex symbol. Okay, so we've talked enough about Charles Boyer. Anyway, he's the lead. He's a monk. Right. Back he's to you. He's a monk you. in Garden of Allah. Um, he lives in a monastery. monastery. And it's a monastery. I don't know. They're near a desert somehow. Yeah. It's a Sahara desert. So, well, but of course, we don't know if it, the, the monastery is near a desert. The, the, it's somewhere. Probably, probably Europe, but anyway, he's a Bened- I think he's a Benedictine monk, which, you know, they make the Benedictine liqueur. And of course, only one monk in the entire world knows the secret recipe for this liqueur. And, and he is that monk. He is that monk. And of course, they don't even take into account that possibly someone might like fall under a, tr- a rampaging donkey or something. In this movie, there's no... Safeguard the There's recipe. no buses in this yeah. movie. Yeah. In other words, he, you know, he could just suddenly have an aneurysm and die and it would be lost. So, so it's very... The plot is very stupid and the script is very stupid. Just say that right up. Anyway, he decides he wants to get out in the world. He doesn't want to be a monk anymore. But but of course, they make it well. Gee, once you're a monk, you're always a monk, and you're bad if you if you 
decide you're changing your lifestyle. Anyway, he goes into the desert and he meets our beloved Marlene Dietrich. Dietrich. And she is just, she was a young, innocent girl who spent her life caring for her mother or father as they were dying and ill all of her life, wasn't it? Wasn't that it? Something like she just saw. And so now she's going out and she has this wardrobe (laughs) that she wears, the flowing breeze and everything, and they meet and fall in love. And uh, therein lies the uh, standard denouement. It's it's a stupid plot, but I love it. I just love it. First of all, it's Marlena's first color film. This film was shot out in the in Arizona. They obviously didn't go to the Sahara for it. So they go out to where all of the sand is, and they're shooting this film. And uh, everyone's in an air-conditioned hotel, but they have to, their dressing rooms are in cabins. And it's like 103 degrees there. It's really, really, really hot. And Charles Boyer is bald, and he always wore tubes uh, in any of his roles, obviously, because you couldn't be a sexy leading man if you didn't have hair on the top of your head in those days. And so he had this toupee, and it's a great-looking toupee. I mean, it really looks good. What? <laughs> it is good. Yeah. It is good. I mean, it's even got a part. It looks like it's there's, like, skin there. Anyway, so he, but he was sweating like a pig, and it just, it was terrible. So the, what would happen is during their scenes, like, the toupee would start to slide off. <laughs> Marlena. And then, of course, Marlena would have to get all made up again if they, every time they did a take to get it right. So she just got fed up. So she took his toupee, and she went out to the city or wherever. She cleaned it all out. Apparently, she cleaned it with gasoline, to like, which is, was a cleaning, not a very safe one, but cleaning solution. Cleaned it all up. She brings it back to him. She takes, like, half a bottle of spirit gum, is what they used in those days, and gets it just completely, like, attached to his head. So he was thrilled because he was, like, constantly in anxiety about his hair slipping off, right? <laughs> so apparently the story goes, and this is from her daughter who was there, that they were doing this love scene and he's supposed to, you know, lean over her and do his, oh, you better French or France or France thing that he does. And he leans over her and the hair, because the hair was stuck to his head so much and he was sweating so much, it was like a pool of water, oh. a sweat had just gathered under it and the, 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 the a wig just pops off and the she and Marlene just gets inundated with the sweat. So apparently after that, every time they were going to do a scene together, she would pat his hair to make sure it was affixed before she would let him lean over her. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Good. So anyway, she knew it was a bomb and she was, she really, there was a lot of fighting. Uh, David O. Selznick was the producer and she hated this film. She knew it was a bomb. She just, uh, and the script was terrible and her daughter says that uh, she in her daughter's book she says considering that one of her lines repeated 12 times in the script was only god and i know what is in my heart <laughs> she had a point about wanting to change the script because it was pretty bad and it was pretty bad but it's just one of those awful delightful films it's so good it's so good to watch the costumes are pretty amazing what happened was is this was an early technicolor film her first as i said and so the costumer who was not her usual person they wanted to put everything in like really bright colors you know really amazing you know occasionally they they managed to get one by her and you can see it's like wow it's just really bright and she wanted to do something, you know, her usual beautiful thing. So she calls up Von Sternberg and says, Joe, Joe, what am I going to do? And you know, he says, okay, this is what you should do, is you should dress in these muted colors and then slightly shade the edges, like, of this chiffon so that there's, a like, a little subtle shade of color. There's one uh, scene where she's standing in the desert and the wind is blowing against her and the chiffon is blowing back. It's very gorgeous and, and everything. And the huge scarf is whipping back behind her. And if now that I know to look, you can see, like, I don't know what color it is, purple or something, just a really, really light edge of it so that you can see the line in the edge of the scarf, which is like the color of the sand. Huh. But it doesn't have to be you know, poppingly bright. So she used uh, some of von Sternberg's expertise in making her costumes better in the film. Well, so I thought that was pretty good yeah, too. Joe, good old Joe, good old Joe. Apparently, it was just it was pretty hellish there, and they they actually built the oasis that's in the film in the middle of the desert. Can you imagine? They had to dig a hole in the sand and put water in it. I guess it was just ridiculous and uh, they would say okay tomorrow see that dune we're going to shoot against that dune and then they'd wake up in the morning and it would be different it would be different (laughs) the dune moved so they'd actually put people on the lookout to sit and watch the dune to see if it moved oh my god (laughs) 
That's pretty incredible. I know. It's got a lot of great stories here. And I also, if you don't mind my saying, I have got to uh, point out that one of my beloveds is in this, my other, another beloved man of mine is in this film. Basil Rathbone. Of course. The Baz. Of course, he isn't everywhere. Yeah, he doesn't. He didn't really play romantic leads. He was too, I think it was too unusual to be a romantic lead at the time. So he always played kind of secondary characters. But he's very suave. Comes out in the desert. Nobody seems to sweat in this. That was hard work to not sweat. Seriously. <laughs> so anyway, I highly recommend that one. Do you have one you want to talk about? I think Kismet's pretty much the, the epitome. Yeah, that was the one I was going to go for, too. I've been talking a lot. Do you want to <laughs> have it? You've got all the scoop. I'm the one who read all the books and did all the research. You, you watched the film. Mm-hmm. Um, we watched all of them, except we skipped Pittsburgh, which is one of the films. We just couldn't stand to see another John Wayne movie. But right. uh, Kismet, she plays a... I'm not quite sure. I guess she's the wife of a sultan. It's really hard to make out what's going on. The wife of a sultan or something. She's hardly in this film at all. It's basically the plot. Uh, stars Ronald Coleman. He's like a thief and a con man, and, and he's kind of rich because of it. He's got this beautiful daughter, and he's trying to get her hooked up with the, the uh, sultan or somebody she doesn't, some older guy that she doesn't love so that she'll be in a good social space and everything. That's basically the plot. She doesn't want to. She falls in love with a young guy and wants to be with him and blah, blah, blah. It's standard stuff. This is the second Technicolor film. And boy, is it Technicolor. It's insane. And the sets are all on a soundstage and they're sort of these glamorized ideas of ancient Arabia or something or some kind of ancient Middle Eastern place. There are huge staircases and all this stuff. And (laughs) it's very stylized. Oh, very stylized. (laughs) And the lead in it, like I said, is Ronald Coleman. Well, apparently, Back in the day, maybe 10 years earlier, 15 years earlier, she'd had an affair with Ronald Coleman. And she kept him on the string for a long time, but he was sort of more more that kind of quiet, romantic kind of guy. And she she wanted a man, right? And so she didn't think that much of him. I see. Well, anyway, they broke up. I think he left and got married to somebody. And so then she hated him. And then they kind of hated each other. So it's hilarious because in this film, he, they're supposed to be hot and heavy, right? And so there's one scene where he's supposed to kiss her. And he turns her so that his back is to the camera and she's and she can't really be seen. And you can tell he puts his hand in front of his mouth before he kisses her. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't actually kiss. But the, what, the main thing about this film is there is her amazing costumes and... Yeah, her hair is... Wild. She has like cones and like funnels and braids, and they're in bow shapes. And yeah, it's pretty nuts. Um, all, all different configurations. I mean, really, really <laughs> elaborate. And gold. And her costume is gold. And she's and yeah. she was supposed to wear chain. She was supposed to wear chains on uh, like down her legs. That's right. Yeah. So there's a moment where she's going to perform for the audience, and this is her big number in the movie. Like she has a big number every movie. She didn't sing in this one, but she yeah. does dance. So she's got a gold bikini, a la. Princess Leia, but more elaborate. And she was supposed to have chainmail legs, and they were too heavy, right? Yeah, they were way too heavy. So they, they thought, well, what are we going to do? She didn't want to put on, like, leggings. or I mean, back then they didn't have spandex, first of all. So um, it, she didn't want to do anything like that, and she wanted her legs to be gold. So she got lead paint. She's famous for her legs, too. Yeah, So it's right. like a her feature. Yeah, exactly. So they have to look great. So she gets lead paint from like the uh, props department or something and paints her legs gold. Fuck. And uh, <laughs> lead paint. Yeah. And so they're, they're pretty amazingly golden. They yeah. Look, they look pretty good. And so she does her dance. And then they, I think it was two Two, two days? days? No, maybe I think it was one day, but it was a long day. They did several takes. And so she started getting by the end of the day. She was like dizzy and nauseous. And they take the paint off her legs, and her legs are all green. Oh, oh my God. That's commitment. She yeah. was like, in certain senses, a true artist. I'll tell you. That was for sure. And so um, I was. I, I, I like it. It's really kind of boring. And I would say, if you're not a real aficionado of loving like these old films and getting into the, uh, the crazy uh, sets and the plots and all that stuff, you just want to see Marlena, you can just fast forward through. She's in very discreet scenes, and you can just fast forward, but it's worth it. We did it. We enjoyed it. We laughed about it a lot. Oh, totally, you know, totally. Um, the main lead is pretty lively. Yeah, Ronald Coleman, he's kind of, yeah, he's he's perked up there. He's not too bad. 
So rec- recommend with uh, with caveats, depending <laughs> on, on yourself. With okay. reservation. Now we're going to talk about the ones we're going to tell you to avoid. Okay. That really, really. Well, actually, good. let's just list off without talking about them. A few other films that we might recommend. Okay. I would say Rancho Notorious is pretty fun. It is it's bad, it is. but it's fun. Yeah, Rancho. It's a western. Yeah, and she plays it well. If you if you want to liken it to like Johnny Guitar. Uh, which is a Joan Crawford vehicle where the woman wears the short hair, she wears pants, vest, she carries a gun. So that's the character Marlene is playing. It's very kind of a very mm-hmm. butch woman. Also, it's funny because there are between scenes, there's this ballad that they have. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like twangy, like singing about <laughs> what's going to happen next and stuff. So it's pretty funny. So, yeah, it really tells you the, the story, but it is, it's very hokey. And we should really note here that amazingly, the director of this film is Fritz Long. Hmm, that's true. M and uh, Metropolis. Metropolis. I mean, he was you know really an amazing, an amazing director. The film does not I, and showcase his ability. No, I think it's the end well. of his life. He was not that. Uh, yeah, it, it's fun. It is fun, and, and we should note that the cast is amazing. Um, they have in this film, first of all, in a fairly pivotal role is Jack Elam and anybody who knows Jack Elam he was in uh, all kinds of westerns uh, generally speaking that really became his milieu although he might have been in other kinds of films and he's a guy with the lazy eye uh, weird looking guy but uh, really intense really good and also George Reeves is in this and if you know who he is he was the first Superman on TV and so he plays a role and then Mel Farrar is in it who was a, a famous actor at the time and um, he's definitely an important guy and so you and you'll see a lot of other people that you you'll recognize but uh, not know their names and that was okay. very fun all right, I think we can wor- move on to worst films now. If okay. You want. All right. All right. There's some boy. There are some bad films in this. Canon. Oh God! So we're not going to go through all of them. And but well, my first of all is 1933 Song of Songs, which we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. So I won't go on that on on with that one. But it was it was dull. I was it was really I really was getting bored. Yeah. I had to play solitaire while I was watching it. <laughs> <laughs> we've also got um, I put Desire on my list which is the one where she plays a thief, I think. Yes. And, like, it's too bad because the opening scene is actually really great, um, and she's introduced as this jewel thief. But, um, I don't know, it just it gets convoluted and dumb, and then there's there's definitely a lot of, like, woman shaming in it. Oh, God, it's terrible. Yeah, she's like a little girl at the end, and he's, yeah. he's like, bring her back. She's trying to do the right thing, and I'm going to help her, and if I have to turn her over my knee and spank her... Yeah. Ugh, and that's Gary Cooper. Yeah. Who's, uh, who's the one who would do, do that. So he's... Yeah, I didn't like that one that much either. It yeah. did it did have elements of the the jewel thievery and the innocent American abroad getting kind of taken. Mm-hmm. That was that was amusing. But yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm with you on that one. Okay, another one that I really disliked, it was really boring, was Manpower. Manpower is <laughs> no, bad. That's that on my list too. <laughs> What's interesting about it is that it's a drama about linemen, which you don't see very often. <laughs> so they're like out in the storm trying to hook up the electricity and stuff. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what's interesting. And of course, a lot of them they keep falling off and falling off electrocuted (laughs) and shit (laughs) and it's got a couple of her real her buddies in there particularly george raft is one of the guys he's the one who's her ends up being her love interest and um so and then the other guys edward g robinson and so they were kind of friends with her so she had kind of a good time not a lot of romance in this one she sings a song of course and the one little bit of interest to me was that uh eve arden has a bit part in it she has a few lines young Eve Arden who I just really love Eve Arden and I won't tell you what she's been in whatever if you don't know who she is you're not going to know who she is but I love her but the I don't recommend watching the movie to see Eve Arden for five minutes yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's that just one. bad and I did mention Martin I'm not sure how to say it Romanak Romanic uh, from 1946. It was the only film she did with Jean Martin Gabin. Hey, yeah, there we go. I, I'm sure that's right. Uh, Jean Gabin was in it, and it was her... The man she was in love with and sought out during the war. Yeah. In, when he was a French freedom fighter. I'll say again, the American... Or the French Spencer Tracy. He... Um, it's terrible. The, the, their passion, first of all, does not translate onto the screen. It's turgid. It's boring. It's... Black and white. No, I like black. And white. It's just it's, it's just, on YouTube and the subtitles are in Spanish. Yeah. So, so in, in yeah, exactly. We watched it. I watched as much as I could without like knowing actually what they were saying. But I didn't need to because it was boring. Yeah. So, yeah. Skip that one. What about you? Do you got any more? No. I mean, there's this whole period of films. The spoilers. Um, yeah. 
Okay, the spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. This is a. It's been made like four different times. This is like the third remake, and in this, she's uh, in it with Randolph Scott and John Wayne, mm-hmm. and it's just really oddly boring and not. I don't know. They don't seem to have much chemistry. It's all about kind of like wildcatters, I think. it's uh, the, There's the gold agent, which is Randolph Scott, and he's kind of a cheater. And uh, The miners are getting taken advantage of. Right. And John Wayne's the good guy, of course. And um, then, and of course, there is the black maid who is kind of like falling down. And, you know, it's just all those elements are yeah. just so... It's just not... Ugh. Don't not like it. Yeah. So I don't know if any of the other versions of the spoilers are any good, but I think it went back to silent era. The first one was in the silent era, so that was really weird. Okay, do we want to switch over and talk about her leading men, or or, or I should say co-stars? co-stars. Yeah, I guess um, we each picked a favorite male lead, but then she also has plenty of other co-stars that we liked. Yeah. Um, I I had a hard time picking out my favorite male lead actually. Yeah. Um, her uh, chemistry with all of her male co-stars are kind of uneven. Um, but I picked Ray Moland, who mm-hmm. is her co-star. Even though the, they hated each other, it's funny yeah. how maybe that sparked a lot of energy between them. I don't know. I think so, maybe. And because the, their roles in the movie are that they're like pushing against each other a lot, maybe it works, but... Yeah. Golden All, earrings. Also, it was a good script, so it allowed them to have good chemistry, I think. Yeah. I would, I would second that, but since... Just to make for some variety, even though he's a dullard, Herbert Marshall. She was in like three movies with Herbert Marshall, English guy. Just very English, just, you know, delivered his lines, because very straightforward, um, stolid. I don't know. But for some reason, maybe it's because I like the films they're in together, or he's so much of the period. One of the interesting asides about to Herbert Marshall, if I haven't mentioned it, is that during the war... Uh, he lost his leg. Hmm. So a lot of times when we were watching in World War One, and so a lot of times when we were watching him, he, you know, well, all the times, I guess, we're seeing him walking around on a prosthetic leg. So it's very interesting because you can't really tell. Maybe you can see a little bit when you watch real carefully, but he looks... I didn't notice at all. No, me either. He, I, I was amazed when I heard this. But what's really interesting is that later Marlena did a movie called The Lady is Willing. And in this film, there's a baby. It's one of the, one of the it's co-leads. It's a farce. It's a farce oh, It's a terrible a farce. This, is, this would be a runner's-up for Don't Watch This One. But anyway, she's, uh, she's always carrying this baby around. And at one point during the shooting, there's a, there was a cable in the way, and she didn't see it, and she tripped. And in order to save the baby getting dropped and crushed she twisted or something and she broke her ankle and they she didn't want to take time off they wanted to get this film in the can so they had to re they had to shoot everything around this injury and so she took some tips from what she'd seen of, of how herbert marshall kind of oh. handled his disability to be able to work with what uh, what was going on with her ankle nice she got some really good press for that one by the way yeah she did oh believe me <laughs> all over the front pages okay so um do we want to pick her favorite your favorite female I mean, we both love Anna Mae Wong as yeah. one of her co-stars. We talked about that in Shanghai Express. And Jean Arthur. Yeah. So I guess those two would be the, be the um, ones. Really essential, unless you have any other co-stars mm-hmm. to mention. Her most important, perhaps the most integral co-star <laughs> throughout her entire career, her own <laughs> eyebrows. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. The eyebrows, the, she had a thing about those eyebrows, man. Yeah. They went from normal, if you watch her early films, to, and attractive. Mm-hmm. They got, I think these crawled pretty much like halfway up her head. Yeah, I was saying that maybe in order to prepare for this podcast, we should create like a chart. Movie to eyebrow height. (laughs) And you'd probably see an arc that drops off just around some of the later films. But she, at some point, she starts shaving her eyebrows and drawing them on. And they just creep higher and higher and higher. Well, her daughter attributes that to to the the devil is the woman. She said that that was, that she did that in order. The high tide of Marlena's eyebrows. Well, well, she said that's when she started doing it because uh, she was trying to create this look. And because of the angle of the hair and all this and the head and that the eyebrow, that she goes, oh, the eyebrow. But uh, unfortunately, I think her daughter's memory uh, does not uh, does not track because if you look at Angel... Yeah. yeah, that's the, the the con artist one, right? Angel, which is the movie before where she's the jewel thief. That is the high water. Oh, yeah. That is so high. Because you can, and, and then they're in real close. You can see where the bridge of her, uh, the the ridge of her brow is. And then this eyebrow going way up over it. It's yeah. just horrible. I just couldn't take my eyes off of it. It's, it's true. The whole time we were obsessed with watching them move. And- there, there was really probably some kind of... Uh, problem with maybe the movie is a, a brilliant gem, but because I couldn't 
I couldn't focus on anything else. I missed all the cues. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> terrible, terrible. And then the next film, the lady, uh, the lady is a, the devil's a woman, very high as well. And then, then they come down a little bit and they stay high, but, but not crazy mm-hmm. for several more films. And then I think by the time we hit the late forties, they, they kind of settled into a more normal position level. Yeah. Oh, those <laughs> eyebrows, man. Whew. Probably somebody online's done something about that. I don't know. <laughs> Um, good point. Right. Good point. And now our least favorite co-star. Oh, we, we have we're in total agreement on yeah, this one. This, um, now, if, first of all, I want to apologize to Marge because Marge, oh. our friend, really likes John Wayne. So I'm sorry, Marge. You might want to skip this part. Sorry, Marge. Um, if nothing else, I think watching this entirety of all these movies, including the bad ones, really um, cemented my distaste for John Wayne. Yeah. I've never liked him, really. Yeah. Um, and I know, you know, acknowledgement that he is was a star and he is beloved by millions and millions of people, mm-hmm. but not by me. Right. Yeah. What did you say about him? You couldn't bear looking at his... Oh, was it the creases in his face you or said, You like said that? his doughy forehead. His doughy forehead, that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, but I will say this for him. He did not succumb and become one of Marlena's lovers. She, she apparently, she got him into her, her, uh, not Cabana, but her trailer. Kind of shut the door, locked it, but that might just be a little flourish. Anyway, shut the door. And she's like, she pulls up her, her, her dress or something and to see what time it is. And there's a little watch on her. <laughs> I mean, she was so dramatic. I believe. Her. I, to- I totally believe it because she's just so dramatic. Anyway, she was uh, she was coming on to him big time, and he he turned her down, and um, so she hated him ever after that. She always said she not to his face would say all kinds of like really snide remarks about him or about cowboys in general, and you know all this kind of stuff. And later, as an adult, her daughter was talk- talking to John Wayne and kind of asked him and he said well he didn't want to be part of a something like part of a herd he liked to be the you know the single one so he wasn't gonna go for stable yeah stable he didn't want to be part of a stable so so we got give him credit for that for sure yeah all right so uh, if we got anything else we want to add about marlena um not really unless you have any more biographical Oh, well, she just just that she continued, you know, she she continued like her lifelong issue with Greta Garbo. There was a, a writer named Mercedes de Acosta, a woman who had been a lover with uh, Greta Garbo. I was just looking through the, this book before we started, and oh yeah, Mercedes de Acosta, who just you know pursued Marlena, and and they were together for a while. But then, of course, as time went on, she kind of stepped away and uh, the woman kept pursuing her and sending her flowers and stuff like that. Mm. It's like that old thing, taking Garbo's leavings. And um, well, then I think all that's left to say is uh, despite her enormous flaws as a person, uh, she, as an artist, she is, as her daughter would even say, was great and is very, very worthwhile uh, just on the basic entertainment level. And if you're interested in cinema and cinema history, an absolute requirement that you watch some of these films, if not all of them, and uh, partake of the icon that is Marlena Dietrich. Thanks for joining us. Here's a a final song for you to enjoy. Falling in (laughs) love again, never wanted to. What am I to do? I can't help it. Men flutter to me like moths around a flame. And if their wings burn, I know I'm not to blame. Männer umschwirren mich wie Motten um das Licht Und wenn sie verbrennen, ja dafür kann ich nicht Ich bin von Kopf bis Fuß auf Liebe eingestellt Ich kann halt lieben nur und sonst gar nicht Was bebt in meinen Händen, in ihrem heißen Druck? Sie möchten sich verschwenden, sie haben nie genug. Ihr werdet mir verzeihen, ihr müsst es halt verstehen. 
Es lockt mich stets von Neuem. Ich finde es so schön.